0: to have richer and fuller experiences and closer connections with the countries you are visiting? I'm going to answer that question in this show, plus an interview with a gentleman named Nate who, incredible story, he went to Nepal and talked his way into working as a porter, and they're the people that support trekkers that are hiking into the Himalayas, and they'll carry crazy amounts of baggage, among other things. They also work to carry supplies to villages and things like that. And he is one of the first, uh, from this conversation from what I know, one of the first foreign-born people to actually live and work with the Porters. And we talk all about his experience and, of course, how it relates to his overall travel experience and the surprising thing he did right after working with the porters in Nepal, how he was able to learn the language so quickly, uh, actually enough to get by and to have meaningful conversations, and so much more. It's a really inspiring interview with a lot of actionable takeaways as well. So we're going to get into all of that and so much more on today's show right now. So (laughs) buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend.
1: Listen to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie,
0: Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Of course, it's about much more than just seeing the world, right? We know how travel can impact us and change our lives in an infinite amount of ways. And you'll hear in today's show just how much a trip can change your life. It's always a reminder when I talk to people on this show and getting their unique perspectives as travelers, as human beings. And uh, it, it's just a constant reminder of how much an experience, a travel experience or even a life experience of, of whatever sort, even if it's a small thing, can, can just change your perspective or change your life. Um, and that's why I love to give you these interviews because I always take away some new perspectives and ideas from these conversations. And my intention is that you do the same. And then, of course, you, you, know, you do with them. What you will. But I'm always surprised that, you know, my guest did today going to Nepal, talking his way into becoming a porter and living that lifestyle in the Himalayas and actually going through and working in the way that they do, which we'll get into in this show. And he actually made a whole film about it that you can check out. But, you know, even these small interactions we have on a daily basis can, um, dramatically change our perspectives, too. It's incredible. I'm sure you can think about these examples in your life. Just maybe one conversation you had with like a random person in a bar or on the street or whatever, and they just kind of maybe got you thinking differently. Sometimes it's for that day. Maybe it's for that week. Sometimes it's for your whole life. Something just sticks with you. So uh, anyway, a little uh, encouragement there as we're still going through this pandemic that uh, right out your front door socially distanced, (laughs) having conversations, you know, we can still have those life-altering perspective shifts, whether it's, you know, listening to podcasts like this or other shows or just connecting with people in conversation as you're out and about, even if you're two meters apart or (laughs) whatever the case is. Hopefully you are. And staying safe out there and thinking about everybody. Happy New Year, by the way. I'm sure nobody is sad to see 2020 go. I'm excited for what this year has to come. It seems like there's a little glimmer of light at the end of the travel tunnel, perhaps, with these vaccines. So we will have to see how it goes. But in the meantime, we can all just um, keep keep being who we are, right? Keep uh, exploring ideas and things that we might want to see out in the world if you're not traveling and how you might want to change your life around to do that uh, when the time comes. And if you're out there on the road, hope you're staying safe. Hope everything's going well with you. By the way, if you haven't signed up over at zero to, travel.com to join the newsletter, you can get exclusive content over there off the podcast, and I'd love to stay in touch with you there. So if you haven't done that, just hit pause, go do it now, and sign up so you can find about all the good stuff happening off the podcast. Now, we should get into this interview because it's, it's just a really uh, wonderful conversation. I'm so excited to share it with you I mentioned at the top some of the uh, things we talk about I don't want to spoil the interview but there's a lot more to this conversation than just his experience out on the trail living the life of a high Himalayan porter in Nepal uh, and you'll hear all about that by the way if you do want to check out uh, we have a whole series that I mentioned that kind of gets uh, mentioned briefly at the top of the show it's called Trekking Nepal and it's you find podcasts and my wife and i when we went to nepal we ended up recording a 16 episode series about the experience so not really interviews just her and i walking on the trails in nepal and uh sharing what the experience was like so if you're into that type of uh podcast and you want to hear what that's all about just search trekking nepal and you should be able to find it trekking's with two k's for those of you that don't know two k's the double k okay Let's get into it and stick around on the back end. I'm going to share my top takeaway, maybe the best thing you can do as a traveler to have a richer, fuller experience and a maybe deeper connection with the culture and the land and the people that you visit through your through your journeys. So stick around for that. Please enjoy this interview, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. <laughs> project we're going to talk about today is um, your film, theporterfilm.com. You can find it there. You were one of the first ever foreign-born porters, commonly known as Sherpas, to aid a Mount Everest expedition up to base camp. So you were eating, sleeping, dressing, speaking, and working as similarly as you could to other porters. Didn't shower for 23 days, lost over 20 pounds, carried 100 kilos at one point. I watched the movie with my wife, the documentary, it's like 55 minutes, I think, the other night in, in preparation for this interview. And, uh, you know, like, as far as promoting yourself, it's it's interesting you say that because I have, uh, you know, that's something I would say that I struggle with too. In this case, I mean, you can't think about it, you promoting yourself, you're more promoting, like, your your work and your message. And that's the important thing, you know? So, like, that can kind of, I think, take... The sort of self, maybe self consciousness, or like the, oh, I'm not really the type of person to like put yourself out there in that way. But you're you're doing it for a reason. And I mean, this film, well, we're gonna get into it. I mean, because you have a lot of, I don't want to say issues, but it, you know, with anything, there's a lot of uh, dynamics to what it means to be a porter, what that means in Nepal, and for that group of people and and them specifically. And I had spent time trekking in Nepal. I'm not sure if you knew that, so I got a lot of. Sort of questions around that, but um. Anyway, am yeah, i welcome to the zero to travel podcast, my friend. That was a long rambling uh, introduction there.
1: <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I saw your other Nepal trekking, your other Nepal trekking podcast as well. So I know you've been. I mean, you've already done a whole podcast series on the area. So not many people have done. That, right.
0: We did. I mean, it wasn't quite like your experience, you know. I do want to talk about. My experience there, because, you know, this was one of the moral dilemmas I had, like, should we hire a porter? Is that good? Because you're giving them work, but also the pay that they get them, I mean, you can make that up in tips and things. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. But I, I first I wanted to, I'm going to be really curious to hear how you like convince them to allow you to do this. And then, uh, yeah, I really encourage people to watch Watch the film if you're able to. Again, the, the, we'll put the links in the in the show notes here. Just from the little bit of reading I did about you, it sounds like, and this film is kind of a product of that being being somebody who is interested in like participatory journalism. I guess you could call it. It's like, you know, going out and like doing the thing and then like documenting it and writing about. It. Not just like, you know, like I think George Plimpton did this. Like he didn't just like stand on the sidelines of an NFL game and like watch he convinced them to go into the NFL game and like, you know, put on the pads and like, you know, face real collisions from, you know, huge men who, uh, I mean, you, 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 it obviously adds another, a whole other layer to the documentation of something like that. So, I mean, when did you get interested in, in that style of uh project? I guess I would say journalism project, whatever you want to call it.
1: I think that's awesome that, you know, George Clinton, Whether well, you saw it in one of my readings or that's, not a lot of people know about him. I don't even really know about him, but I know about him because my dad told me about him after a few years of doing this. I had left college. In college, um, I played sports. I never really was huge into academics, but my sophomore year, I went to Spain, and I, I ran with the Bulls, and I did it in this like very immersive type of way with a local holding my hand, and he had been there seven times, and... You know, speaking Spanish and he taught me how to run, how to run like a pro and then how to do, not how to do what pros do, which then I wanted to do what pros do and do the most insane thing, you know, that that most Red Bull-esque version because like eight years ago was the peak of Red Bull, you know, and it was like, okay, I'm just going to go as extreme as I can and the most extreme way is to do it as a local and then do it in the most extreme way. And what is the most extreme way to run with the bulls? I thought running with the bulls was
0: extreme, just right, you know, just running with them in the first place isn't that extreme. There is a it's do you have to ride the bull and hold on to the horns or something? It's
1: like, I don't know if you've ever seen it on TV, I never, I think I saw it as a kid. But if you touch a bull while you're running, it's actually technically illegal. And the only people who do it, um, you're supposed to get fined like a thousand euros. The only people who do it are professionals. And so this local was like, just don't, like, you don't want to do that. Like, that's, that's dangerous. Like, you know, I was like, no, I want to do that. I want to touch the bull while I'm running. And so it's things like that. And then there's all the little things during the running, these little intricate details. Did um, you touch the bull? Yeah, I did. It's kind of stupidly. I touched the bull and then I was, I was hold, hugging a fence and I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And I freaking launched and touched the bull and turned around and there was another bull behind me. And then I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I switched to the other side of this bowl, and we're, we're running. They're not that fast. Um, and there's a woman next to me. And people fall all the time, and they're running the bowls. And now I'm right next to the bowl, and someone fell up ahead, and there's a pile accumulating. And it's like comes down to kind of a me versus her type of thing. And uh, I might I might have given a shoulder. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you don't get too into it, but <laughs> I jumped over and wanted done low one of these things, you know. Yeah, but you got, you got out. Yeah, yeah. It was it's it's very live for for yourself. But anyways, after that, I became. That's when the seed took form, I guess, and I just started sneaking away the next summer to do another project, and then over time after I went to South. What was
0: the project next? The next summer.
1: The project next summer was. And I had been in philosophy class, which was already on my nerves. And uh, I Googled, like, you know, you're just Googling everything. And I found scuba diving. And then there was, like, scuba diving, the number one dive site. And that was this place in Belize. And I had never scuba dived. So I figured, okay, well, let's just do the number one place. as my first place. Went down to this place in Mexican uh, Belize called the Blue Hole we earned our certification in like thirty six hours before, which was pretty dumb, as you know. And then went down and and went way past our dive limit. It was very stupid. That was one of the more stupid things I've done. what well, what are some of the other "quote unquote" stupid things you've done? <laughs> yeah, so one of them kind of got out of hand. I left. I left there. Went to South America. After South America, I was just. I just took off after college with a snowboard and a and a. And a saxophone, you know? No job. I just had a little yeah, money. Yeah,
0: of course. A snowboard and a saxophone. That that sounds like the right pairing yeah, of it's, items. It's
1: ultimately... it's
0: Nothing a, like traveling
1: light. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bag. I had a bag. <laughs> it was uh, pretty hippie, you know, to say that, to be honest. But I took off like that and I was just... You know, after losing that money, it was a pretty much a complete bum. Very... Very poor, but I managed to do a couple things. One was like this really world famous shoot ski shoot in Patagonia or in the lower Andes. is called the, at Puerto. It's called the Super C. And I had never used an ice axe. I had never used crampons, but you could hike this thing yourself and buy the things and do it. And I didn't even have avalanche equipment. I just I tried that, and that was that's now we're getting to some of the stupider things. Oh, um, you had to cross this little six-inch ledge of a photo, and it was—it was definitely like if you slip, you're dead here. And I, you know, I was alone. The kid I hiked with turned around because it was—it uh, was quite intimidating. And then that, and then, anyways, I—I I was fueled by this. You know, I'd, I've been poor all this time, and I had this adventure, and I was like, oh my God, I must love this because being poor and doing all this kind of sucks. But then I get this incredible thing, and can I get more of that? How am I going to get more of that? And by luck, I ended up living like at a Brazilian favela at the end, which is like a, a ghetto for all intents and purposes of Brazil. If you've ever seen that movie city of God, that's where it is. Yeah,
0: the, the, Like some of the poorest areas. Right. In Brazil essentially. Yeah.
1: Right. And they're judged pretty harshly from America. We just assume they're super dangerous. And, um, I went and I met this lady on the street at a bus stop who started speaking to me in Portuguese and this was the first time I had to really like learn a language out of necessity very quickly. Um, I had a little base in Portuguese for like one semester. It's similar to Spanish, which helps, and I already knew Spanish. But she invited me to her house to need Wi-Fi. I was like, yes, I need Wi-Fi. I don't know where I'm going. I thought Rio was a city, but it's an entire area. That is, uh, you know, it's a massive area. And uh, I thought it was a city. She's like, no, you're already in Rio. Just follow me. I'm in Portuguese. And I followed her. and I was going to just use Wi-Fi in her house to find a, a hostel or something. And we go into her house, past this mall, down past all these vendors and across from this caged soccer area. And we're, we're at the edge of a favela. Um, I'll say in, I think it was at the edge, maybe just outside and open the door and it's walked through one room and th- there's this room and it's completely empty. The room has nothing in it, just a fan overhead. her head. One wall is bars and she just points at the corner and says, you know, do you want to sleep there? And, uh, I was like, obviously, obviously I want to sleep there. So, you know, you get all these stories when you're traveling. Um, that was one where. I was doing the thing at the favela, experiencing what it was like to walk through and go through and live that very you know poor lifestyle, but how happy and how nice and how welcoming they were. and i I really liked the idea of these immersion projects, of learning the language and being forced to, and then of like, at the time, I was showing people like you know, they aren't dangerous. I want to go into these super dangerous places or scary or whatever and show people that these people are people or whatever the truth is behind the matter. You know, maybe they are evil. Well, let's find out or, but in that case, they're really nice. So I kind of came back and after another attempt at sports, just devoted my life to this, to doing these projects until eventually, you know, it started doing some more mental ones, um, physical, and then kind of combining everything. And like, and this was the first one I kind of combined everything in. And then I
0: screwed the film okay so if that catches you up i don't know yeah think about how amazing people are like that like that woman that took you in because you're like a you were an athlete like you said you you played lacrosse i believe and you're six one or six two
1: i think six one and a half maybe
0: pretty (laughs) tall like big dude strong and like this woman just takes you in her house like she doesn't even know you you know
1: it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy I mean what and that happened multiple times I paid for housing just in that trip I'd done a couple podcasts after that because it was wild to me I'd pay for housing like three nights out of or a few nights out of almost six months in in
0: South America yeah
1: people giving me free houses and everything everything
0: for for what just how would you put yourself out there in that way was it like just the energy
1: you were putting off I don't know I don't know. I just wanted to adventure, and I was did not have a lot of money, and I was.
0: Did you ask people, or did people just come up to you and
1: invite people, you? In? I never asked. I never asked. No. I, but I, I think it was pretty obvious, maybe from my energy, that I didn't know where I'd be staying that night, or you know,
0: like I know the film obviously is a film project, but when you talk about some of these other things you've done, when you when you call them projects, are they just like personal development projects are you like writing about these things or documenting what are you doing or is this just for your own sort of knowledge of the world
1: um i think it's a bit about both but mainly i was like uh i was a writer i've never said was i think i still am but you know multiple things now i uh i was just writing i would write 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 and uh Yeah. I mean, when I think about it, I, after that, there's so many times I've settled down to write these books and rewritten these books and went to Spain to write these books when I was trying to become a stripper and locked myself in a hotel in Nepal to write these books and, and went to England and locked myself to write these books. And it was just all about writing these books. And I'd spent so long, you know, ever since running the bulls, I started writing up these experiences and, uh, I had put them together and the goal was to write a book and then books and and I it was taking so long. It was taking so long because I'm I may be very obsessive or whatever the reasons are, it wasn't gonna get to the level I needed for a bit of time. You know, these things can take ten years. Sometimes people spend fifteen years, I think, catching their eye. I don't know how long that was, but anyways, a long time and in Nepal, that one time I, I kind of locked myself in and that's when the seed of this idea came up because it just was taking too long and I just needed proof. I needed proof now. Like I needed to stop living this bum lifestyle and having no money and relying on others and I needed to stop. So I needed proof now and I felt like no one would even buy my books if i they were the best in the world. Why would you buy them? Why would anyone buy them? Because we're millennials, we don't, I don't even, I don't even read really. So why would someone else read? And are these still like things you battle with,
0: or do you still feel that way, or has your perspective changed?
1: Um, I hope still to finish them. Uh, but the reason I guess I went with the movie first is because I felt I needed to give a pe- people a reason to read them. I didn't think they would read them without, you know, the name behind it, I did not think they would buy the book without. A reason to so I launched the film for visual proof and immediate immediate payoff now to get my career off the ground
0: yeah I mean well I mean there's something also to be said about finishing something and getting it out the door you know I mean you can prove to yourself hey uh, I can take on something and finish it that's uh, that's always an empowering thing you know I'm sure when you watch the film there's things you want to change or like parts you want to add in or switch around or whatever. But like, I think that's always going to be the case. You know, you could make all those changes and then six months from now want to change it again. But like, this is, I guess I'm just throwing this out there because if anybody's listening to this, that like has been sitting on something that they haven't finished, then like, just, just finish it. Like there's something about finishing something that really, um, yeah, that's huge, I don't actually. Know. That's great. That's putting great, it out man. to the world. So you have uh, other people can take something from it. Like they can't take something from something that's not there, right? So putting it out there to serve them and also to serve yourself and just, you know, have that feeling of finishing something, which is important, even though it's not perfect. We have a saying uh, in our community location anyway, we say, F perfection, you know, like it's never going to be perfect. So you got to just, that's, a, Get it that's done. a
1: big thing to come to grips with. Some guy told me that the Beatles probably won't let it be back, you know? It's probably not quite done, you know? They still got to tweak that third note or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're probably working on it
0: right now. It's not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's,
1: the, the perfection's a very real thing to come to grips with, though. So this the film has helped because I, I was... A very perfectionist and i would have sat on it forever but as you know it contains real information so i can't sit on it forever
0: you know having been to nepal and gone through the experience, is like the porters to us were like they were like superheroes we literally call them superheroes they're like they're they are superheroes it's like i mean just what they're able to do and like obviously coming from such tough circumstances but having the overall general attitude they seem to have i mean again this is i was really excited to talk to you and to watch this because i i had the perspective of like the client Uh, my wife and I, i mean we didn't we didn't like try to have any separation between us and and like our guide and our porter we went on like did like a private thing because we wanted to have time with both of them um and that was another reason we actually one to have a porter was to like give somebody some work and also that's why we decided on doing it i mean it makes the trek easier too but uh we are like all right well this this person can get some work and also it's like another person that we can learn from and have a cultural exchange with you know all that being said at the end of the night like we would go to wherever we were sleeping in the tea houses or whatever and uh you know you would go to where the porters go and sleep with them and you lived their life First of all, you were what surprised me in the beginning, right away, because you're you're a pretty young guy. How old are you?
1: I, I that film I was 24 for that, so I'm 26 now.
0: Right, and I mean, you're, there you are, like speaking Nepali with everybody, and I was just, that that surprised me right away. First of all, because I was like, all right, here's this young guy. Like, wait a minute, he could speak Nepali. Like, let's start there, because I mean, I think uh, you can't just kind of gloss over the fact that you were speaking the language because. You know, like living here in Norway, I have found a dramatic change with my connection to the people and this country after I learned the language. It was a pretty dramatic difference. So, yeah, I think that's an important part of this because you are also speaking to them in their native tongue, which further integrates you into that. So maybe, maybe they accept you a little bit more because you have taken that effort. How did you teach yourself whatever level of nepali you had can you just talk about that
1: yeah sure i mean how how did you learn how did you learn the language out there did you take classes well
0: i'm i'm not language isn't my strong suit so i mean i I had to go to a lot of hours many hours of classes (laughs) and then you know just speaking with people and stuff you seem to have fairly proficient level this episode is brought to you by u.s bank recently i went out for tacos and it wasn't even friday Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway services. Go to usbank.com altitude go to learn more about how you can earn twenty thousand bonus points worth two hundred dollars if you spend one thousand dollars in the first ninety days of opening your account. Win big with the US Bank Altitude Go Visa signature card. Visit USBank.com altitude go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is US Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to 6,000 pounds so you can bring the fun with you but nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go in a pathfinder the real fun comes from getting there and that's something we love celebrating here on the zero to travel podcast we believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at
1: NissanUSA.com. It's. I think it's a little exaggerated, but um, I languages have, have come easier to me. They've come quite easy to me. I can learn them. To a mediocre level, pretty rapidly through that immersion technique. Uh, it's through the same immersion technique. So I know that uh, various amounts of, I know, you know, several languages. And I was going to do a project in Nepal. The idea was like, I had no money, but what could I do that was insane? It was like, I'm going to take a vow of silence in a monastery for three months. And if I teach myself the language, I can knock on a door in the mountains, like in James Bond, and they'll let me in. That was my theory. So I just sat in my friend in my apartment in D.C. with my my friend. We were living in Section Eight housing, and uh, I just started teaching myself it on the internet and using some back pages. And I was about two or three weeks of teaching myself, and then I left. By the time I left, I found out that didn't really exist the that idea I had in mind, but I had a little base and I, the first three days I'm trying to speak at every opportunity. I'm not very good. Uh, but I even, you know, second from I'm on the plane, I'm, I'm trying to speak in it and practice it and learn more words and writing new words down. And just with the guy next to me on the plane speaking the whole time. And when I get there after three days, I take the vow of silence and I get out and I, I don't know if you've ever done the vow of silence thing, but I'm a podcaster. I can't shut up. That's right. It's, <laughs> I can't shut up either. It was uh, it's neat, but your faculties, your senses are like pff, through the roof. So my Nepali got better after. And, and then I don't know. Wait, just you mean just from being silent? Yeah, it's crazy. It was crazy. I, I were was, you still reading or were you just processing? Like what were you? You were just, I mean, in my mind, I was repeating some of the words I learned. But, you know, you can't read really just their one note a day. And uh, no, you just you get out, and I could finally distinguish like the breaks in words when people were speaking. Wait, wait a minute, how long were you silent? It's all uh, just about two weeks, I think. And where were in you place. when this was taking place? That was in Nepal, in a in a monastery in the lower Himalaya. Okay,
0: so you got there. You arrived after you built up your base over two to three weeks, which is also sounding crazy to me, but you were able to do that apparently, which is pretty awesome. And then you're like, all right, now I want to take a vow of silence. I'm going to go find a place to do that. And what you just start walking around, like, give me the practical, <laughs> me, it's a- like, hey guys, I'm here. Like, I want to be silent. Where should I go? Like, how do you, how does one There's go a- about?
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a good, yeah. Um, I wish that would be awesome. No, there was a, there are the, there's like programs called Vipassana. So there wasn't like these three months I could take a vow of silence and somewhere in the woods, up in the mountains. No, but I did find out there was something called Vipassana, which you can do in America. I think I had already had my tickets in Nepal. So I was going to do it in the heartland, you know, that would be more.
0: Okay. So you kind of like set it up. And so it was through this, it was go. through
1: this thing, this like event type thing and you sign up and I signed up. A couple weeks before and I got there and yeah.
0: And what did you learn about yourself during those two weeks?
1: Oh, everyone, that thing's freaking crazy. Your mind is a very powerful thing. Very powerful thing. I mean, basically, you know, there's molecules in your entire body. You know, if I touch you here, you can feel it. If I touch you on your shoulder, you can feel it. I don't know if I interpreted the instructions the right way, but in my mind, it was can I feel every single molecule in my body at the same time. Can I feel them vibrating? You know, can you focus enough to get to that point? And uh, in my case, I could. I could at least, I thought I could. So it's crazy, you know, there's a and lot what of stuff. Was
0: that, what was that experience like?
1: I mean, that's that's that was crazy, That's crazy. It's torture, you know, you're waking up at 4.30 and you're going to bed at 11 and you're meditating for like 16 hours a day and I had never meditated I'm not a hippie, or I didn't think I was. I I uh, I kind of like shunned them. I very judged them hard. I thought I was stupid and uh, that's why I did it. And you know, there's you learn just an incredible amount. Your body vibrates, your ears ring. You learn that your mind is extremely, extremely powerful and you can accomplish I mean you bet, basic, the basic premise you sit for an hour after like five days. You have to sit for an hour without moving on the ground and you know you're sleeping on the floor. You don't eat afternoon, So conditions are hard and you don't look at anyone. You can't signal to anyone. Um, you're very isolated like a role-playing video game and it says hit A or B to talk and you always have to hit B. You just always walk by people and uh, you know you sit on the ground for an hour. An hour in a row without moving a muscle is the goal. And you have excruciating pain. If you just try it you know. right now, you'll, you'll have pretty bad pain. And eventually, you can get to the point where like, you know, the last day or so, I sat there for an hour plus and I didn't have any pain. And I went up and I was like, you know, we could talk that day. And I was like, yo, what what's good? I didn't have any pain. God, you know, talking to the monk, the, the monk. And he was like, well, did you have these like explosions of sensation? I was like, yeah. It's like, well, that is pain. You're just... You're just beyond it. I was like, whoa, my whoa. lordy, that's crazy. <laughs> but it's also true. I mean, I had no pain at that point. It's like you, you teach yourself out of pain, which was like, okay, my mind can do a lot of things here. We're good to go.
0: Beyond pain.
1: Yeah, that was that was uh, wild.
0: I always think of um...
1: like the seals, I guess.
0: No like, like, no, like in this case, you know, there's the iconic image of that from the 60s of the monk self-immolation, I think it is, where you light yourself on fire. I don't know if you've ever seen this image and there was a monk protesting Vietnam. It, it's iconic and he's he's in like the lotus position and he's just burning on fire like his whole... That picture, and you know, I say a picture like speaks a thousand words or whatever. I mean that that one picture is just like the power of the mind. How is that like that doesn't even seem like that's that a human being can could do something like that. It doesn't seem real. It it, it seems otherworldly. So what like what kind of things aren't we able to tap into as we go about you know checking facebook and uh whatever you know doing this that or the other throughout our days like what are we missing man
1: yeah i don't know i i don't know i think I Not, by out.
0: the way none of this is uh of course um any invitation to light yourself on fire by the way that's just uh this was a spe- i mean you can read the history of it if you just like go on wikipedia or something but um Always just found that to be so powerful, such a powerful image.
1: Yeah, there's a guy in Alaska, I think, who's like running marathons without shoes or something, and like almost naked. So that that guy has it over cold. I don't know. Yeah,
0: well, there's another dude that he runs. I forget how far he runs, but he runs through Death Valley uh, in the hottest like day of the year with a Darth Vader costume on. What? So there you go. If you're looking for some more ideas, I want to Google. Nate, that. That's crazy. You could just, uh, you know, put that down because that is, sounds like the most. There you go. By the way, if this guy, if that guy's listening to this podcast, hit me up. I want to yes. interview you. Uh, me too. I
1: want to talk to you.
0: Maybe you need to start a podcast on like extreme everything. You know, that could be a series here. Uh, that sounds far. Right. Why are you a dude of such extremes? I don't know. Why do you
1: have to do these extreme things? I don't know, I don't know i I think it was a lot worse. I don't know, I don't know if that's that healthy, so I was, I was trying to tone it back um after why why don't you think it's healthy? uh well, you know, in South America you get really close to like okay, if I keep doing things like this, I will die. Um, and then you get into the situation the porter uh, which was just a massive psychological it screwed me up very badly whether it did screw me up or whether the last five years collectively screwed me up coming back i don't know what it was i don't know i don't know the reality of the situation but coming back to society because that was after those three years almost four or whatever after this i came back i flew straight straight to hollywood right after this film I guess we can talk about this later, but I flew straight there, and uh, just the hard drive—you know—the experience itself of living and sleeping and and working amongst porters obviously hadn't hit me yet. Like that can't hit you within a couple weeks. So I flew straight to Hollywood, and I was still on this idea of this TV show because that was the easiest way to do more of these adventures and live this life and and be more about me and my personality and look at my career because after all i went in telling people this was me setting a record on everest I, i initially had a proposal called heavy steps which was all about bridging the gap between foreigners and 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 locals and there was this fight on everest and i just wanted to help that but that proposal didn't work you know the truth was i wanted to do it for myself and then i launched that and then i raised money with me at the forefront and and, uh, so I went to Hollywood straight after and lived on a friend's couch and, you know, ha- obviously had no money still cause all the money was other people's money I'd spent on the film. And, uh, I was biking around to these movies and going to very large Hollywood meetings, you know, with their notable companies. And I was in a ratty t-shirt sweatshirt eating seven, 11 hot dogs for sustenance. You know, I was not, I was not in the best of places. And, uh, as I'm having the success climbing the ranks, my mind was devolving, you know, very rapidly. I didn't know why, and it was going crazy, and I had never gone crazy like that. And uh, I didn't know why, I didn't know why, and I had to ultimately come home. Um, my dad also had an editing system, so that helped the decision. But. In, in, after editing the movie and I was still editing the movie for months and I was still making the Hollywood movie of me and watch me. And I had all the talking heads of me, you know, the, the only people to relate to were like Anthony Bourdain and those type of, I'll walk you through the guide type thing. And, and it still felt wrong. I wasn't having success and I wasn't going to release it. And eventually, you know, I got into it a little bit more after months and realized what I had. And, uh, that I had, you know, that I had someone else's life. I had proof of someone else's life. I had proof of that life in a different country as a foreigner and then proof of probably a problem. And uh, it was like, boom, here's a weight on your back. Here's a weight on your back. And then I just started to uh, like realize everything I'd done, you know, that I had a camera that i had had a camera on these guys life and walked in there and walked out and just a crash course in empathy and a crash course and like a crash course in maturity. I don't know what it was. If I was immature, I probably still am, but it was quite a learning experience. And, uh, it took, it took, you know, it screwed me up pretty badly, probably for the better. But uh, that's why we just want to be probably more planned going into whatever I do next or maybe not, but <laughs> you go, that.
0: well, I mean like, yeah, I, i am just in, like, in what way did you go crazy? I mean, I can imagine I'm just the real way. Like you were wandering around the streets, like totally lost your mind type of thing. No, I, didn't. Right? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't really know what that means. Yeah, like, true. you know, your definition of crazy might
1: be, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that means, I mean, I think in my mind, I was there, you know, I was beyond the streets i was i was i was whew, I was crazy in my mind. i was I wasn't wandering the streets, but I wanted to I've wanted to, yeah, but I had my family help me bring me up, and I knew that it was wrong to have these thoughts that I was crazy. I don't know living the life of a
0: porter, which is like some of the I mean, if you look at like what they earn and everything, probably some of like the poorest people in the world in, in some ways. And then going to Hollywood, which is like the antithesis of that. Like, you know, image and, you know, everybody's hustling and trying to look good. And it's all about like the... I mean, I, again, I'm generalizing. But, you know, a lot of people are out in LA trying to make it an entertainment. And a lot of that is look at me, look at me, look at me. So I can imagine that, that dichotomy, those two worlds going from that world to, to that world. I mean, it's kind of easy to see how that could like, if you hadn't the time to process your trip or decompress, how that could break you in some way, maybe, you know?
1: Yeah, it was going to break me for sure. It was going to, I had to, I had to get out. I mean, but, but it was also the move for me it was the final move the first move towards like it was the first move away from this life of just permanent traveling to perhaps making a living somehow that was that was the move so whether it was Hollywood or that move it all it all came crashing down and uh and now I view Hollywood not as like a life thing but as a project. <laughs> i view it as like surviving hollywood like that's a project of mine
0: you're not as personally invested in that way right you're kind of taking a more of a detached approach to
1: yeah we survive we survive that place it is quite when i look at the picture of like going through what i did sleeping in these places and then the picture of me on the airplane after like holding a ticket like here we go to hollywood like it's kind of a little sickening to me it's like oh my god you have no idea. You have no idea what you just did. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to the adventure because we
0: haven't even gotten into that yet. And we need to. So, I mean, I I guess after you came out of the silent retreat, was the next move to kind of like talk somebody into letting you be a porter?
1: I'll be quick. I went, I did high altitude ice climbing right after. Then I locked myself away to the right. Then I tried to become a stripper then i got a job why did
0: you try to become a stripper why, why, was, why did
1: you that would be a project to write about i thought i thought the humility you needed to dance on stage and, and and was astounding and i wanted to know more about the world and write about it so i wanted to become a cage dancer so you're going to become in, a cage dancer in nepal no a cage dancer in spain i had went to spain and i was living in barcelona and i uh, got a job I never actually danced because I got another job guiding back in Nepal. Um, So I'm saying you left Nepal,
0: went to Spain, tried to become a stripper.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I left Nepal. I think left Nepal. (laughs) Left Nepal, went to America, then to Spain. I don't want to get too much, but all right. So anyway, you let you get back to Nepal. Did you went back to Nepal, guided? Saw that's when the seeds of the portering took place. I saw what porters were like. I went to England to write and do this kind of apprenticeship under this master painter named Sachs Berlin. And I lived on his floor and that's a whole nother thing. And then on the end, um, you know, that's when I was really trying to finally crack it. And I'd managed to write for this director at black mirror. And that was like, this is how I'm going to make it. This is how I'm going to, if I write for him, a TV show for him, then I can pitch my own TV show. And obviously that fizzled out. And then I launched my own thing. And then I went back to Nepal that, that winter and then there I'm in Nepal. Everything I've planned, the company, the people I'm working with, the videographer, it all falls through. And I'm on this $3.50 a night, you know, hostel bed. I've never made a film. I don't know how to make a film. I've never researched a film. I have a couple of things my dad bought me, you know, because he used to make films and he was like, you know, you need the hard drive (laughs) or, we should, I was like, maybe I should get a solar charger. It's sunny up there. I don't know how we'll charge it. So I had a few little things. Um, but I'm on this couch, you know, I've already spent people's money and I have no, no idea what I'm doing. And uh, it's now, you know, I have like a month before I have to go back a little over a month for my plan to get out of there and there's nothing happening. So I've lost everything. I'm sitting on this, I'm lying on this bed and I'm like, all right, let's, let's put it together and. What happened first, I think I meet a videographer through a company I knew that helped organize some stuff. She brought her assistant who I told her not to bring and her assistant ends up having some free time and he ends up being the one to shoot the film and he ends up being the most talented person I've ever worked with. I haven't worked with many people but he's the most talented. And Dan uh, at the same time, I just get up off my bed and walk down the street and I just ask, you know, 30 so 20 or 30 outlets um outfitters if i can work with them i have this film i want to make we want to show this about porters i want to be the porter can we do it with you can we do it with you can we do it with you and only one only the first one i walked into said yes that was it and i tried another 19 more but it was just the first one and i know i didn't have a work visa um so that was a bit illegal we we said our videographer we said the cinematographer Babin, was the the worker uh and it was all very loose. it was never you know the first eight days of the thing i'm 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 going along this this project and I don't yeah, we actually, did an eleven day trek right right it was the whole thing was twenty three days actually but the trek itself mm-hmm. was eleven
0: with the clients because, and what you were carrying for them yeah.
1: Yeah, cause you fly. You
0: did you fly in? Uh, well, we just went. We did uh the
1: Monteslu track. We didn't do the uh, space camp. Oh, oh that's yeah. way prettier. That's a good move. It was nice. Yeah. There was uh, you usually fly into this place called Lukla. For those listening, um, you can walk. I wanted to walk because that was cheaper, and I was trying to at first live by this amount of money I was going to get, like the super size me type of way yeah you know, I'm gonna get one hundred and sixty five dollars. Can I survive on that for twenty three for however long I'm gone? Those eight days I with a camera there, you know, I went deeper than I ever had because a camera's there, you know you, you would do the same. you're like, screw it, I'm really gonna go. I think they call it camera courage or something, Kodak.
0: in the sense that you weren't gonna give up, even though yeah, you felt like, yeah
1: and that i i heard i was watching some video of jimmy Chin he called it like kodak courage and that's a true thing i was like all oh, right i got the camera here I'm. it's
0: it's accountability right you're like i gotta finish this thing i can't quit after you know two miles even though you probably felt like you wanted to oh
1: yeah definitely. at the end that, well no.
0: yeah so you were able to like i mean i'm sure one of the tricky things and why they were saying no is not just the work permit but also your you're kind of taking somebody's place and somebody else is missing out on work because you're taking their place. I guess that could be a tough for some of these outfitters, but kind of just give us the one Oh one, just so people can hear if they haven't, if they're not exactly familiar with what they do and who they are, give us like the one Oh one. And then I want to hear about the experience.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You climbed as a client too. So you're going to have a cool perspective, I think. Um, I had done the client. I had not been a client, but I had refused to get any guiding service the year before. The first time I got there, I did the trek because I had to for the high altitude. So I had to go through that region. I went alone without a porter. And for my high altitude peak, I actually did have a guide, and I don't. I didn't tip him well, you know, Um, because I was poor and I didn't really know. And so coming into this one, we've already, you know spoken about the whole background and you know what I was doing so obviously it was a lot was about me and my career and and I walked into you know I guess a lot of the reason I didn't even know what I walked into is because the interview that spans the whole film my cameraman got at the end it was the last day of filming I was dead I interviewed him for the money and that was it and then my cameraman took over and asked the real questions and uh, looking at the transcript post yeah yeah. No. And he was like, he knew, he knew what to ask. He knew everything. He wasn't as exhausted or maybe he was, I don't know, but it saved the film and going and watching, reading the manuscript and realizing then I guess I finally realized, but Porter's, you know, the real thing is you've been there. So, you know, everything in the film, um, is not visible to clients. You know, you don't see where Porter sleep. You don't see where they use the bathroom. All their facilities are segregated so come the end of the trip foreigners don't even know what porters endure so there's that which is just the barrier between them is massive and uh and i mean honestly i could really get into the issue the different sides of everything but one is the segregation two is the salary is very low so at low camps, when you're at like facting which is one of the first towns, or Namche, prices are relatively low for the region. They're high in Nepal, but they're low in the mountains. When you get higher up, things get more expensive. They get to a point that surpasses your salary. So, you know, we made $15 a, a day. Uh, lucky porters make 20 Unfortunate ones might make 13 maybe even less, you know. And so your costs at the high camp are exceeding your salary. So you're literally losing money as you're working. Because so, they're
0: having to pay for their accommodations and their food and everything like
1: that. Right. So you come last day, like you're going to rely on those tips. Those tips are, I think important. that's something
0: people don't know. Cause I think like you pay a trekking company and you think like, well, that means all of their expenses are covered.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's what you assume is, is all their expenses are covered. And sometimes that's what they tell you. Um,
0: Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. But is that is that true across the board? I'm, I'm There must be some agencies where they expect, I hope their expenses are... Of high. course,
1: of course. Yeah, There are some that pay $20, you know, the, the government supposed regu- regulated regulate it minimum. Um, but then, you know, this is the other facet of the thing is it's Nepal. Their economy is not as good. When you go there as a foreigner, as I was, as you were, you expect lower prices. You, know, you expect lower prices. You want to pay less. And so there's kind of this because of foreigners expecting less, there's a race to the bottom of, I believe, foreigners coming in and trying to undercut the prices and get things cheaper. And companies continuously doing that to get business because there's 1,600 trekking companies in Nepal. I mean – You've been there. There's, it's like, it's more Starbucks than there are in New York City, you know, proportionally. Yeah, I
0: mean, from Down. the moment you step in the cab or whatever on your, on your way, the bus, wherever on the way to the, from the airport, people are asking you
1: like, trekking. trekking. Hey, you want to go
0: trekking? Yeah. Like they're somebody, somebody's cousin, brother, them, uh, everybody's in the business. It seems
1: everyone. And so when foreigners come and want cheaper prices, there's going to be someone to give it to them. And if you can escape, the, if the law isn't regulated as well, because maybe it can't be, you can undercut it and undercut it, and who suffers in the end is the porter. So there's that influence of the foreigners demanding less, of porters not getting the right salary, and then it falls on this tip at the end. And uh, because of the segregation and you don't know what they're experiencing, you don't even know that they rely on your tip. And then... The other thing is foreigners get charged more, you know, and foreign prices are higher. And so that makes you also not want to tip as much. So when it comes down to the tip, at the end of the day, a lot of times you might not tip as well. And maybe your country just doesn't tip. You know, tips are tips. You can't tell someone to tip. It's Americans tip, but in Oslo, do they tip as well?
0: Uh, That's a different culture because the servers get paid different like the servers here like my barista might make like 25 or 30 bucks an hour exactly yeah it's just a different culture one of the things i wanted to highlight just based on your film and everything this is one example of us as travelers we need to make sure that we are responsible and that we are in as informed as we can be and i know like you don't doesn't mean everybody's going to write a master thesis uh, you know before they go trekking in Nepal on like you know, Porter culture and what they go through, but it's not that hard with the internet to like, you know, be like, all right, well, part of your research, I think when you go to do something like this should be, you know, how to do this responsibly, right? It's like, all right, well, you know, how do I do this? You know, a lot of times the research is where are we going to stay and how much should we pay for this experience and what track do we want to do and all this stuff? Like, I'm just using this as an example. Part of that research should be, how do we do this responsibly? right? Like, shouldn't that be kind of mixed into like any research you do when you go do these sort of major travel things that you kind of like, know a lot of people are doing like chances are if a lot of tourists are visiting like elephant camps, for example, and like, uh, you know, this is something I wish I had done more. And this is why I'm talking about on the podcast now. It's like, all right, well, let's, let's like really like spend some time reading about not only like where to go and what to do, but like what, impact that has on the local economy or whatever animals if they're involved or like you know what I mean so at least you could be like all right well I can make an informed decision or I can do things like when we decide to get a porter like the there was a debate and then I and I want to hear your thoughts on this like the the end thing was like all right we're gonna be able to give somebody a job Um, we can't control how much they get paid but we can take them out to buy them shoes and gear that they need we can give them a good tip at the end you know so it's like all right so now we have kind of looked into this and we've realized like this is a thing we're going to do because we think we want to contribute to the local economy here as travelers and this is like one way we can do it and and i'm not saying that that's perfect or that's a solution or anything i'm just telling you like kind of the methodology so
1: i mean what should people do when they go to nepal I think the number one thing with anywhere is not necessarily throwing money because maybe that's not the solution everywhere, but it's just communication. I mean, all of these things I was just talking about—this influence foreigner, blah blah blah—it just creates this rift. It just creates this growing rift between foreigners or clients or wherever they are and these porters or these local workers, and the communication is cut to almost nil. So. I mean, that's ultimately, I think, why you travel is is to connect, is to connect with these other cultures, no matter what position they're in. And if there's no communication, you're never going to learn. And if you're, if you have the ability to go on and research all this, if you have the time, that's that's great. And that's better than nothing, obviously. Um, but you might not. And so what could you do? Just communicate, talk to them, talk to them about what you're feeling and thinking and what they're thinking and feeling. And then. I mean, be human in uh, other words. Yeah. Ultimately (laughs) Everest is just like one, I guess a synecdoche is the wrong word, but one, like it's just one example, you know, right now there's like the trash on Everest and everyone's worried. Like, is it their trash? Is it our trash? Is it their mountain? Is it our mountain? Is it, you know, it's throwing around them and us a lot. And it's like, that's not, that's not good where we're going, you know, where the, where the earth is going. That's. We got to start treating it like, you know, ours and how to get there is more through communication and recognizing like, yeah, you're a traveler visiting this place, which is run by the people who live here and communicate with them. I think communication is just the key. And then from there, uh, from there, it comes out. Everything comes out because they understand.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, you know, there are other elements to that. Like like you said, I mean, if you go to a truck agency and they say, oh, oh, we do this and, and we make sure that they're covered and they get paid this and they don't, that's where like the communication might not play in. So maybe it's a combination of, but I mean, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying when you're talking about like connecting authentically to a place, just being human <laughs> to and being kind and, and talking. Yeah. Like engaging, you know? Yeah, it shouldn't be... uh, Oh, yeah, you
1: should talk to the porters directly. If you're worried about money, just talk to the porters directly. (laughs) How much do you make? What was the thing that that surprised
0: you you most? Like, what was the most surprising thing about the experience for you? Like, the life uh, that you shared with them during the trek and, like, doing everything they did? What was the most surprising thing about it?
1: Yeah, I mean... Well, the most surprising thing was the economics. That was the most surprising on the surface on the surface, I mean it's a it's a job, like any job. It's a tough job, but it's as you know, it's necessary to the region without cars, you need to transport goods. I do think it helps a lot of people who maybe couldn't go to Everest or other mountains by themselves and this helps them get there. And to people saying if you can't get there, well it's, you know, it's the earth's biggest mountain. If you can see a wonder and you need a little help, I think you should go you know, as long as that help is being helped. But uh, the most surprising was just the economics. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, it's just a tough job and they're very close knit. It's like a team. The whole interconnectivity of every local in the mountains is astounding, you know, like text messaging people who are injured way over on another pass and hearing of this and that. And it seems like everyone knows each other and the family familiar aspect in Nepal is far more advanced than ours in America I believe you know and that It seems like you were
0: accepted as much as one could be within like what you were doing and the amount of days and stuff like that like that was the vibe I got anyway it didn't seem like maybe at first you kind of had to earn your stripes, like go through some days carrying some loads and sleeping in the beds and not complaining and all that kind of stuff, sleeping on the floor and not having blank, you know, everything that they were enduring, uh, what you said, which is a great word for this. You know, you think about work conditions, like you shouldn't have to endure work conditions.
1: Or if you do, you get compensated fairly.
0: Right. Yeah, Exactly. Did you feel the camaraderie, like you're, you're always going to be a foreigner and they were always going to be, you know, and they knew you were there for just a a blip. Did you feel like accepted in that way? And the camaraderie amongst uh, the group, like,
1: yeah, I playing sports as much as I, you know, I think it hurts sometimes what I do. It helps because it, it just made me learn a lot about how to connect, I guess. And, you know, the whole time I was not, I was trying to get the worst actively they were trying to hold me back from it. And I was trying to always get the worst and be treated like anyone else. And and sometimes worse, always take the last of things to earn their respect and uh, to experience what it would like to be in the worst of conditions. And uh, that kind of helped me get in their good graces. And there are times, a few times when like you're a traveler, you know, at high camp, I remember you're a traveler, but, you'll always be a traveler, but you, you're on equal ground. You know, there was a couple of times we're just on equal ground and they're showing me their culture, what they do. And it is just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's what I love. That's why I do these things. I, I don't mind carrying the weight. I don't mind all that. I love, I love that pain and this joy and coming together. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on, I could go on endlessly. they, I think part of it, they also brought me in because I had this camera. You know, I had a conversation early on. Um, it's like, yeah, we know what you're doing. Basically, like, yeah, you're in here because you have a camera. Yeah, you're in here because you better do something. You know, you better do something because we're letting you in, so we'll let you in. I think a little All bit right. of an unspoken thing. But, I mean, yeah, there was some... I'm oh, really welcoming to me. I mean, yeah, being I mean, because
0: you did it. Also, you weren't like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like get this shot, and then I'm gonna set this load down, and then like w- you know, walk three miles, and then like somebody else is gonna carry, it and then let's go get this shot." You know, I mean, you were doing, you did it, which is insane because I couldn't do it. Like, I physically, I don't think I could physically do it, especially carrying the hundred kilos. When I saw you, it was like, "Oh man, that's," I just, yeah. Those guys are superheroes, man. And and women, there's some women porters as well. Yeah. They're
1: strong. Very strong. That last 100 kilo thing they do in like half the time that I did.
0: It's crazy you see that see
1: I'm like some a of big them top. running <laughs>
0: running with, you know, double or triple. Yeah. If you're listening to this, I mean, I have found doing something that you've done like making this film or um you know, maybe not everybody's going to go to that ex- sort of extreme to like make a film or like make a podcast series or something like that. But if you have some kind of project or sort of mission around, this is one of the themes I've noticed in the podcast to come up, just talking to different guests and through my own experience, it's like, like you get a little more access sometimes to a culture. You get it maybe not all the time. You can have authentic travel experiences without that. But if you're intentional around, Um, like, a specific thing you want to get involved with and have, like, an authentic travel experience with, like, for example, like, you know, being with the porters, then having a project like this can certainly, you know, if it was just you and no camera and stuff like that, it might have been harder to kind of pull something like this off. So, again, that's not saying, like, every... I'm not preaching like the idea that you should make all of your travels about like documenting it or doing some kind of mission. But like, even if it's just a personal thing, I think it can um, set the intention for having uh, setting yourself up for a more authentic travel experience in some way, even if that's just like an intention, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to dive the, you know, the blue key and I'm going to do it with, you know locals or whatever i'm I'm not sure if you did there but like or you know the running with the bulls thing you're like i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna do like the most extreme thing and i'm gonna get with a local and they're gonna get them to show me the ropes like that intention means that like that's how you're gonna go about doing it you know and that's a much different way to go about it than like oh, i'm gonna meet some people in the hostel and then i'm gonna run with them and then we're gonna have beers afterwards you know it's just it just changes it you Um know
1: Two things. One is, I mean, that's ultimately why we do these things, right? Why you do podcasts and why I do this is so that maybe other people don't have to go and make the podcast or go make the movie on Everest so we can pass on what we've learned um, doing it to them so they don't have to.
0: Right. <laughs> but Yeah, I can tell you I'm not going to go live, do be a porter. No, I mean, I <laughs> wouldn't.
1: I mean, if you want to, but...
0: Uh, Thanks for doing that for me. I I lived it. I watched the film. Now we're we're good.
1: I was talking with my dad. Almost every part of the earth is like covered now. Is is controlled. You know, there's very few parts of this earth that I don't even know. I mean, maybe parts of Alaska or parts of Antarctica that are you know really uninhabited and haven't really been controlled yet. So. What can you do? I mean, you can't get to space. You know, I can't really get to space. So a few people get to space. You can't really explore the ocean. You can explore what's around you and the cultures and the people and learn that way. And and uh, the authentic travel experience, it's gonna be it's gonna be better. It's gonna be better. You're gonna learn more. You're gonna. I mean, you know. I mean, you learn the language in Oslo. It's different. You said yourself, it changed the experience. I don't know how it yeah. changed it, but I can imagine it, it feels yeah. more. I
0: mean, yeah, and you can set yourself up for this too. Like if you know, I mean, if you're showing up with a snowboard and a saxophone to Argentina, you're already going to have be a topic of conversation. You know, like what are you doing with the sax? By the way, do you do you just like rock out the sax? Or are you like uh
1: I don't I don't like to play in public, but it's just
0: yeah, I I play, but I'm not really in public. Can you rip? I, mean, I might need some sax tracks on some songs. I mean, we got, the, we
1: yeah. got it right here, you know. We got the little thing here. Can can you can you let loose with a little little riff or two? Can you give <laughs> us a little taste? I've never done that for any any <laughs> I mean I don't know how it would sound. This I mean just just give us a little just give us a little something. Now something now about, I'm gonna be like, you know? I'm like getting really nervous now. <laughs>
0: nah, don't be nervous, man. Just just let a little just let your soul run through it. <laughs>
1: I just remembered Sweet eight man. <laughs> <laughs> woo woo so, yeah, that was a little I told me what that's eight AM. <laughs> My roommates are gonna be like, What the hell? <laughs> um, but I don't know where we were, but now <laughs> that's great, man. Oh, and we could have started off with that.
0: <laughs> no, because that would then would have been way too early. You know, you got to have to have your coffee first. Again, thanks for doing this so we don't have to, first of all. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate everything about the things that you've done that I'm hearing. And like this film, especially like my wife and I feel such a connection to Nepal through the experience we had there through, you know, having the close connection with our guide and our porter on the trek. Mingmar and uh Samir who was our guide who we're still in touch with and you know it's great when um like those relationships transcend just like the trip you know like we still keep in touch with Samir and not just like a human connection that we have when we're traveling and then it goes away and and that's that's like a nice thing i mean people there are so friendly but i don't know man it's just um i think it's great like it it's really gutsy you know some of the stuff that you've done to say the least and uh i mean to think about Putting yourself out there in that way, to make the film, and then to actually live the experience is like it's a pretty gutsy thing, man. I'm sure you have learned not only about the you know, the culture, but a lot about yourself just through kind of doing this these types of things. So,
1: rock on, yeah. man! Thank you. I mean, it's just what I do. I it's just what I do. It's what that's all. It's what I do. Right. But every we need everyone. We need everyone. So well,
0: What are you doing next? I mean, I know you're we're all kind of on lockdown here, but I mean, do you
1: have a I've gotten this itch. I've gotten the itch lately. You have the itch ever, you know? Uh yeah, of course. Like I got <laughs> it. It's coming back. It's coming back hard. The film has been so long. Um it's been so long. It's been so long. From the days when you're like, do I even release this film? Because it's about me, but then it's about to now we're, you know, we're having this podcast a couple days ago. Well, just some very big organizations are coming on. I don't know if this is permanent record, so I didn't want to taint it. Um, But some very big organizations are coming on. We have a university tour with almost 15, maybe 15 universities at the moment. And so um, that sounds like I'm just pumping my own thing, but. It's been so long to get to this and I don't think there's that much left. Hey. So, I'll- dude, listen. A little bit of advice from a
0: an older guy like myself. Pump your own thing, man, because I watched it. I mean, it's not it's not a you're in it and you're like you're the thing that's like the thread through it because you're living this experience, but I think you've done a great job just sharing life for them and and what what it's really like and and you know creating awareness around this thing so people can be re- more responsible and aware when they go to do a trip like this uh and you know man like you serve put yourself out there to serve your message you know yeah. You're right I mean you're right
1: you can always take advice
0: you're right So I'm, I'm not I'm usually laying advice down like that but I th- I think like you got you got some big uh things to share and they're like you may be involved with them but they're not it seems like your heart's coming from the right place. And that's like the important part, you know?
1: Yeah. I got to keep it there. I don't want to do it in my head and abuse the power, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But but I don't know. what will. uh, I don't know. what. Now there's the inklings of the itch is is what I was getting to. So the next, the next extreme adventure. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it will be. And I want to finish these books. I want, there's a lot of things I want to do, but, Uh, I want to finish this project first, and my mind can't really stray too much until it's done. And then, uh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't mean to make a film, so it's not like I need to make more films. Um, But I want to do something, you know, crazy. I'm not crazy, but I want to do something again, something – I mean, I'm I'm young, yeah, so –
0: yeah, you are. It's pretty interesting that uh, like, uh you're just like, you made a film and you're not even really a filmmaker.
1: Oh, not at all. Do <laughs> you don't have believe,
0: like through that? aspirations to be a filmmaker, it doesn't sound like. It's more of a, you have more no. aspirations to write, which is kind of interesting because it's a pretty monumental project to, to, to
1: make a film, <laughs> so. Yeah, it was a... Uh, yeah, but I had to. I had to.
0: Well, I, I look forward to um, kind of keeping in touch and seeing where things land for you and what you do next and things like that. And uh, yeah, let people know where they can find you or support the film and all that good stuff. you want to share some links, we'll stick everything in the show notes, of course.
1: Yeah, sure. The, uh, the film now, I made it public on Vimeo. So if you can Google it well enough, it will pop up. Uh, I think it's about almost 10,000 views. There's also a trailer. You can find the website itself is theporterfilm.com. I don't know why I say it like that. It's just theporterfilm.com. And, uh, I mean, hopefully you don't have to go looking for it too hard here soon enough, if you know what I mean. You know, yeah, we can get it to a place where it finds you. Uh, but, tis the work that remains, so. Uh, yeah, otherwise my name's Nate, Nate Nathaniel Menninger. I mean, if you really wanted to Instagram me, I don't really, I'm not good at that Instagram life, really.
0: No, no, I'm terrible at it, too. <laughs> I mean, it's so bad. It's, I'm not great. I mean. <laughs> it's weird. I but. guess. Yeah, I mean, can you be bad at it if you just don't really do it, right? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's like, can you, can you really? fail if you never yeah. try it's like i i'm really bad at the saxophone because i don't play it and i don't own one
1: <laughs> i guess <think that's laughs> fun i don't know it's got some pluses though you meet some people that you can meet some people that are cool to connect with which is worth it yeah for sure
0: yeah don't get but, me started on the pros and cons of social media yeah yeah we're not going to go stuff. on that yeah, that's that. a whole other con no let's not go there but uh <laughs> cool man well i appreciate you stopping by and uh yeah send a couple pictures uh if you can so we can post that up with the show notes too. So people can see, you know, yeah, of course. you, uh, I think actually, I think you sent me some, so I will, I will post one up with the show. I have one of you with, uh, two of the porters and you guys all of your loads and you're sitting on one of the rock uh, walls there. So
1: that's a nice one.
0: Nepal is a beautiful, lovely place. And I'm sure they're getting hit hard right now because tourism shut down because of COVID. Uh, so I can't only imagine what's going on there. So, um,
1: yeah, it's going to be, uh, big that's a, big, a whole other podcast sure yeah
0: that is well we much love to anybody in uh, in Nepal I think we both got love for that place and much love to you my friend thanks for stopping by the show and sharing your story man let me know uh yes yeah, just stay in touch let me know what you're up to
1: yeah thanks for having me Jason I really do I mean it's awesome thanks man cool take care
0: You have it. Thanks again to Nate for stopping by the show. Really glad that he reached out and had a, such a candid conversation about his experience. Loved talking to that guy and definitely encourage you to check out the film if you were fascinated by what he did and that subject matter definitely recommend the visuals on that so check out the film and of course if you're into audio you can always listen to our trekking nepal podcast as well which i mentioned at the top and don't forget to sign up over at zero to travel.com if you are not in the email newsletter list because we got a lot of stuff going on off the podcast you can only get it if you give me email and then i can keep in touch with you so i would love to have you join the community over there online. Okay. You know, my top takeaway here, I mentioned this at the top of the show, I was going to share with you maybe the best thing that you can do as a traveler to really have richer, fuller experiences. And the thing that I came away with from this interview, like probably my, I guess I'd say my top takeaway. And then it got me thinking about how this applies to us as travelers. And it's really a simple sentence to have richer, fuller travel experiences. It's just about becoming more than an observer, right? As travelers, we are automatically sort of slotted into the role of the observer, even if that's not our natural personality. For some of us, it is. That could be a whole other debate whether we, uh, you know, if our our natural personality is to be more of an observer, do those type of people like to travel more? I don't know. I'm riffing here because I hadn't really thought about that too much. Maybe that's a topic for another time. But... Regardless, you go to a place, say you don't speak the language, you're just thrust into a new culture, you don't really know the nuances of the culture, and all of these things, you're just automatically sort of an observer, and that's one of the joys of traveler, right? You get to kind of almost be reawakened to the world, and you're looking at everything in, in a new way, and everything's different, and it's so impactful, so visceral. Yet, I feel like we can also get stuck in this observer role. So doing things like Nate did, right, where I think he used the term immersion travel, but in a real way. And it doesn't mean you have to go to the extreme of becoming, you know, a porter like Nate did. That looked, looked like it was really hard work and a crazy experience and one that I personally don't want to have, which is why I love to have these conversations because I get to hear about it from somebody else. But the more we can immerse ourselves as travelers, truly immerse ourselves, the, the richer and more fuller I believe our experiences will be. So that top takeaway may be the best thing you can do as a traveler. It's just that simple sense to become more than an observer, to get in there. And try to be uh, somebody who participates, you know. Uh, I remember, I'll, I'll give a small example of watching uh, you know, some Brazilians playing soccer on a beach. And, you know, it's such a popular sport there. And it's such a huge part of the culture. I could just sit there and, and watch them play because I don't know how to play soccer. And I'm terrible at it. Or I could play, right? I could get in. Be more than an observer. Get into the game. And uh, that's what I did. And uh, it was a total nightmare <laughs> because I don't know how to play soccer. And I think I was winded pretty quickly, uh, especially among like these phenomenal soccer players that were running around all all over the place. I'm pretty sure I committed some fouls and did some things that were uh, were not right. But uh, they were pretty forgiving, I think, on this, this lame foreigner. Anyway, uh, small example of, uh, you know, a choice there, right? Uh, You could watch the game or you could try to jump into it. And these types of opportunities present themselves all the time when we travel, if we're paying attention to them, right? So just that simple thought, becoming more than an observer. And, you know, this is true in our everyday life too, right? I feel like uh, maybe becoming more than an observer is actually a great way to sort of travel without going anywhere, right? Because you just get into... uh, you get into the thing, right? I remember another random example just came to my mind. I went to order a, a kebab somewhere. I think it was, it, it might've been in Turkey or I, I can't actually remember where, but uh, I've been watching these guys cut off the uh, the meat from that spinning lamb thing, that big piece of lamb that's spinning around and <laughs> being cooked all the time, looking so delicious. So uh, I just, I don't know. I wanted the feeling of just like, how it, how it works with the knife to like come down like how does it slice thick or thin how how does it feel to do it so I just asked if I could like come back and cut my own <laughs> kebab and they let me do it you know so these small things that you could you can do if you're just willing to kind of take the risk and put yourself out there what's the worst thing that can happen people say no you know maybe you quote unquote make a fool of yourself which isn't I don't believe really a thing you just you're just being in the world right so. You can convince people to become more than an observer uh, and to allow you in to participate. I don't know. You get this closer connection with these places that you can never really, truly, you're not from there, right? It's so hard to, to truly kind of understand everything unless you grew up in a place, right? There's so many elements of a culture. But we as travelers can bring ourselves a little closer by becoming more than observers so anyway that's my rant and uh, sticking to it hope you enjoyed listening to this show I certainly enjoyed bringing it to you first one of the year let's make it a great year together thank you so much for being a part of this listening community very much appreciate you I will send you off with a quote I'm pulling out of uh, my quote drawer new quote drawer just put the drawer in this weekend at my new desk let's see got one here Swami Rama said learn to give to each other and then slowly that learning will expand to the whole universe there you go swami rama thank you so much for your time and i'll see you next time peace and love cheers this
1: podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality